0: Thank you for listening to the Calvary Monterey podcast. Please visit calvary.com to learn more about our church and visit nateholdridge.com for additional Bible teaching from our senior pastor, Nate Holdridge. Good morning, church. If you have your Bibles, if you could pull them out right now and open up to Hebrews chapter 5. And if you don't have a Bible, please put your hand in the air and we'll get one to you. Uh, We're in a study right now of the book of Hebrews, and today we're in our seventh study, and we're going to look at all of Hebrews chapter 5 today. Hebrews chapter 5. We're going to read the passage as we go through the teaching, but I want to read the whole passage at the beginning of the teaching so you can get the whole flow of what we're looking at today. So, Would you direct your attention to verse 1 of chapter 5? It says, For every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. Where we left off last week is that the author has begun to now write to the people about how Jesus is our great high priest. So he's still comparing Jesus to all the old priests from the Old Testament era. He, verse 2, that high priest, can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward since he himself is beset with weakness. Because of this, verse 3, he is obligated to offer sacrifice for his own sins. Again, this is what the Old Testament priests would do, just as he does for those of the people. And no one takes this honor for himself, verse 4, but only when called by God just as Aaron was. So also, now we have the comparison with Jesus in verse 5, Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest, but was appointed by him who said to him, You are my son, today I have begotten you. As he says also in another place, You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears, to him who was able to save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, verse 8, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him, being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Now, I'm going to read to you the rest of the chapter, and we are going to look at this section this morning, but you should know this is a new thing that the author is going to start with here in verse 11 and following. He's got a little word of correction for his hearers. Try not to get your feelings hurt too bad as we read this. It's some straight talk from the author. It says in verse 11, about this we have much to say. He'd like to talk to them about Jesus's high priestly ministry. He says, and it's hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. From evil. All right, that's our passage for the day. Let's pray and ask the Lord to give us understanding this morning. Lord, we thank you for your holy and righteous and good and true word and the lessons that you have for us, Lord, from your word. We pray that we'd get them today first by understanding what you meant, what you were saying, what you were communicating to these people, the Hebrews, Christians, almost 2,000 years ago. And we pray, Lord, that as we understand that, that we'd be able to apply it into our modern lives to see, Lord, how you want to interact with us today. We thank you, Lord, for your role in our lives, that you're not distant, that you're not far away, but that you, Lord, want to work in our lives personally, presently, currently. We thank you, Lord, for that, and we praise you. In Jesus' name, we pray together. Amen. Amen. All right, so a little family update, little Holdridge family update for you guys. My, uh, my second daughter, Violet is her name. Isn't that a cute name, Violet? Violet Brenna, her middle name is my, my, my sister. I have one sister. Her name is Brenna, so Violet Brenna Holdridge. Violet Brenna Holdridge, she turns 13 years old this Wednesday, 13 years old. Yeah, you can applaud that. That's a very cool thing. She made it 13 years in my house. <laughs> We like to do this thing when our kids turn 13, my my oldest is now 15, and when she turned 13, we did a similar thing where we ask uh, important people in their lives, you know, relatives, friends, significant adults in their lives, family, friends, to write them letters, letters to encourage them, letters to speak into their lives, uh, letters that affirm them, talk about different gifts and callings that they see in them and also just to kind of express their hopes and dreams and desires a little bit for them because of the knowledge that you know age 13 to age whatever I'm 40 now they're not easy <laughs> they're not easy years and 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 just to kind of speak into their lives and then and then what we like to do is collect those, print them out, and on their actual birthday, you know, give them those letters. But then we also have a little family party together and and invite some of those people to be there, and, and we will put our child there, kind of in the middle of the room, and let everybody have a chance to verbalize. And a lot of times we'll share the same things that we wrote about in those letters, and sometimes something new, something different, but... We did that last night. Violet's birthday is this coming Wednesday, but last night we gathered together with a few friends and family and got together and people just began talking into her life. Here's what we see in you. Here's what we hope for you. Here's gifts that we see that you have. Here are sensitivities to the Lord that we see you know, in your life. And we're just trying to build her up, encourage her, strengthen her for the stuff that is to come because we know this. That you cannot get very far in life without support. You cannot get very far in life without friends. And we know this even further. Jesus Christ is the best friend for her, for us, for each individual in this room. That he is the one who can help us through life. And when I use the word friend, I'm trying to use it in a broad way. You know, some of my buddies were there last night. Family, friends, speaking into their lives. And, and these aren't guys who I would think would look at my 13-year-old daughter and say, you're my friend, but they will give counsel and, exa- and be examples and show her what a good and godly man looks like. And in that way, there's a befriending. What you're saying maybe to yourself, Nate, why are you talking about this? I, we just read through the whole passage. The word friend did not appear even one time. We read about priests and high priests and sacrifices and all these different things. And the reason, though, why I'm talking about this is because it's probably very far from our mind's eye that we would consider the Old Testament priesthood as friends of the people of Israel. Many of us think about the Old Testament priestly system if we think about it at all, and what we think of. It's simply a group of individuals who were waiting at the tabernacle for worshipers who came, and they would offer the sacrifices on their behalf. But what you have to remember is that the priesthood actually did much more than that. When people were ashamed of themselves for something that they'd done with their lives, they would go to the priesthood. Just like you might go to a friend when you've done something embarrassing. When the people were in need of counsel about God, what is he like? How does he feel about me? The priesthood would speak into that. When people were growing up and in need of education about sexuality and their own experience with it and what is appropriate and what is not, the priesthood would teach them about that just as so many times, whether it's good or bad, we go to friends to talk about such things. The priest would show them what it meant to have a good balance in life. Here's when you should work, here's when you should rest, here's when you should have festivals and feasts, and when you should get down and really give your life to your work and your career in industry. They would talk to them about things like this. They would show them the proper work-life balance. They would even teach them how to handle their finances, how how to... Give how to be generous, how to save, and all of that. So in a sense, you could say that the priests in Israel, they were friends to the people of Israel when they were functioning properly, in the sense that they were therapists to a degree, helping people with guilt and past sins that they'd committed and had been committed against them and didn't know what to do with them. They were helping people like pastors relate to the living God. They were helping people like financial planners learn how to handle their everyday money. They were helping people like university professors learn about career and balance and all of that. They were helping people on so many levels. And what the author of the Hebrews wants the Hebrew Christians to understand is that Jesus Christ is the best version of all of that. He's the one who can speak into our lives on all of those issues and can help us as a friend would, but as the greatest friend who has ever been. And so I want to show you four things from this passage that the priests were, but that Jesus is better at, to help us understand this friendship that we have with him. And because I'm going to do the comparison thing like the author did, he talked about the priests and he talked about Jesus, I'll show you a verse about the priests and then a couple verses about Jesus, and we'll bounce around here in Hebrews chapter 5 a little bit. I think we're going to put the points on the screen today, though, for you. So here's number one for you today. Number one, he's the best one for the job, so trust him. When it comes to Jesus as the better friend, he's the best one for the job, so trust him. And this comes from verse 1 and, uh, and verse 4 through 6. Let's read verse 1 again. Would you notice it in your Bibles? It says, For every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God to offer gifts and sacrifices for sin. Then look also in verse 4. And no one takes this honor for himself, but only when called by God, just as Aaron was. What I want you to see there are a a few different words. In verse 1, the word chosen. The the old priests were chosen by God. Also in verse 1, the word appointed. Appointed. The old priests were appointed by God. And then also in verse 4, none of them took that honor for themselves. In other words, there was no little boy in Israel ever who you would ask, hey, what do you want to be when you grow up? And he said, I think when I grow up, I want to become a priest. That wasn't a decision that they made. You were either in Aaron's family of the tribe of Levi or not. You were either born into it or born out of it. It wasn't a choice, a decision that they made. They did not take the honor for themselves. God chose it. That's why it says in verse 4, they only when called by God, just like the original priest, Aaron. So these guys were chosen, appointed, didn't take it for themselves, called by God. But notice in verse 5 and 6, let's read about Jesus. That's, that's the first priest. What, what about Jesus? Well, it says in verse 5, Jesus also did not exalt himself to be made a high priest, but was appointed, there's that word again, by him who said to him, you're my son, today I've begotten you. As he says also in another place, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Now, I know some of you guys are like Hebrews pros by now at this time in your life you've studied the book of hebrews many times before you've read the book of hebrews so many times i had some of you guys tell me when i said i'm teaching the book of hebrews next after the life of david some of you guys came to me on the patio and you're like i love the book of hebrews can't wait to get in the book of hebrews can't wait to hear you teach the book of hebrews and everybody who didn't feel that way you just kept it to yourself and it was really polite of you to do so and some of you have been waiting you're like oh i love this melchizedek guy Can't wait till that's the day that we talk about Melchizedek, and Nick breaks down Melchizedek. And and here we get introduced to Melchizedek, and I'm not going to talk about Melchizedek. And the reason I'm not going to do that today is because he's going to talk about Melchizedek in chapter 7. He's going to really get into this guy, but suffice it to say, what he simply means is that Jesus is the priest forever, just like this guy Melchizedek established a forever priesthood. What I want you to see here in these comparisons with the first priests and Jesus is that Jesus was also, look at that word in verse 5, appointed. You know, He's the Son of God, not a a son of Aaron. He's the Son of God. So he was appointed by God. So what makes him better than those original priests? What makes him the best one for this job in comparison to those guys? Well, Well, think about this first of all. We learn in verse 1 that the original priests, they had to be human. They were chosen from among men. Jesus was also human, but with a difference. And now, of course, part of that difference is what we call the hypostatic union, that he was 100% divine and 100% human, yet merged together. We don't understand how that took place, but we know that it took place by faith. But... The real thing that I want you to see is that when those priests came along, they were like their worshipers in that they were human like their worshipers. Jesus, not that they were worshiping the priests, but like those that were worshiping God. Jesus, when he interacts with you, like we saw last week, he is like you. In other words, like we saw last week, he can understand and sympathize with your weaknesses because he was in all points tempted as you and I are, yet without sin. All right, so he, like the original priest, is like us, but here's the thing. After he died and was buried, he then rose from the grave and ascended to the right hand of the Father where he is now in glory. That is the thing that I want you to see. There's a lot that makes Jesus different from these original priests, but that's the first thing I want you to see. You see, for some people, when you fail, you might go to someone who has had a similar failure in their lives, and they might put their arm around you and say, I understand. I've done the same thing. Jesus can't say that, right? He can't put his arm around you and say, man, I totally get that. You yelled at your wife on the way to, on the way to church, of all things. You yelled at your wife, I can't believe that you did that. You know, he can't put his arm around you and say, I've done the same thing. But here's what he can do. He can put his arm around you and say, I understand your weakness. I came and dwelt among you. I was tempted in all points as you are, yet without sin. But then I ascended to the right hand of the Father, and I see what glory looks like. In other words, every friend you've ever had, no matter how sympathetic they are, they can put their arm around you perhaps, but they can't see what you could be. Jesus, from his vantage point, can see just that. If I could just say it succinctly, I'd say it like this. Others might be able to relate to who you are, but Jesus can relate to who you could be. That's what he has going for him In his position as our ascended and glorious high priest. But another reason why he's the best for the job is because of what I alluded to about the way that the original high priest became high priest. They didn't choose it, they were just born into it. You know, they came of a certain age, and mom and dad would sit them down and say, You know, son. I don't know if you want to do this or not, but you are the right person in the line. You're going to be a priest, or you're going to be actually the high priest. It was a really big deal, but it was just given to them by birth. It was the sovereignty of God, but it just felt very circumstantial. You know, like, okay, wow, this person comes into my life. This is what I'm doing. This is just, I didn't plan on it. I didn't want it. I didn't choose it. But when Jesus... When he comes into your life, those priests, they didn't have a say in the matter, but Jesus had a say in the matter. That's why it talks about Jesus being the Son of God, and that he made a decision as the second person of the triune Godhead to step out of glory in obedience to the Father. He made a choice to say, I'll be the one that goes. I'll be the one who surrenders his life. I'll be the one who takes on humanity. He made a decision to come for you and for me. And I'd like you to think about the people in your life, the people that have been the greatest blessing to you in your life. Those people, they've been brought into your life by the sovereign hand of God, but it is also circumstantial feeling. They just happen to live in the same time as you. They just happen to live in the same place as you. There wasn't a big decision that they made. You know, one example of this, my, my wife, Christina, I love her so much, we've been married for 17 years, but she grew up not here in Monterey, she grew up mostly up in San Jose, and a point came in her life, she was ready to go away to college, and the day before she was ready to leave for university, the school called her and they said, we're so sorry, this is so embarrassing that we have to call you today, the day before you're supposed to come here, But we made a really big mistake in analyzing your financial aid package and everything that we said that we could offer to you, we can't offer to you. We can't give you any financial aid at all. And she was forced to make a really big decision. And she knew, I I can't afford that on my own. I can't go into debt. So she had to drop that college and attend junior college up in San Jose and when she got done with that she's like man I'm paying my way through school how am I gonna do this so she started looking around for affordable state universities and she selected Cal State University of the Monterey Bay and I am so happy (laughs) about that decision she came into my life, you know, through that connection. We, we had became friends, and, and I fell in love with her. And then, and by the grace of God, she fell in love with me as well. But you see, that was not her, her choice. Like, this is something that I am going to do. It was God orchestrating events. It was God making things happen. But you see, when Jesus came into your life, he made a decision. He was in complete control of the beginning and the end. He knew all things and still decided, I want to be theirs, and I want them to be mine. He had you within his heart, you within his mind. This is what makes him better than those old priests. They had no choice in the matter. Jesus chose to become one with us. But You know another reason why Jesus is the best one for the job? is because of what it says at the end of verse 6. Jesus is the high priest forever. Forever. Look, I I know that you know this. But the people in your life, you'll go through various seasons with them. There will be times that they're there for you. There will be times that they're not there for you. There will be times that they're alive. There will be times where... A time... (laughs) where they die there will be times where they're for you there will be times that they betray you you will go through various seasons with human beings and those original priests they were all connected to aaron and they would live would do their thing and they would die they would pass off the scene but jesus his ministry towards us from heaven it is a ministry that lasts forever it never ends it is always, it is constant. And when I speak of forever, I don't just mean length of time, I mean constancy of availability. He is always available to us. His ministry is forever toward you and me. It says in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 24, all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls. This is what people are like. But the word of the Lord remains forever. You see, Jesus, his ministry toward you, his friendship toward you, his word toward you, it is there for every season of life. It remains forever. So he's the best one for the job. All right, number two, let's look at the second thing. I told you I had four things today. Number two, he's the best at sympathizing with your weaknesses, so go to him. He's the best at sympathizing with your weaknesses, so go go to him. Now th- this comes from verse two, first looking at the priest. Let's read that again, if you guys would look in your Bibles. It says, he can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward since he himself is beset with weakness. That- that's what the original priests were like. You know, they had all this weakness and uh, they were beset with weakness, it says. And so because of that, they could deal gently with the ignorant and wayward. You're like, who's that? That's us. <laughs> Those are the worshipers. They could deal with the general pop because they also were beset with weakness. They were ignorant and wayward coming to the priest. So the priest could say, Oh man, I get that, you know, because I'm also one of you. Let's read verse 7. It says, Of Jesus, in the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered okay here, here's the thing you think about those original priests you know the worshipers would come you know and they maybe, maybe they bring a sacrifice maybe they, maybe they confess a sin you know hey here's i did this thing and I, I i stole from my neighbor i shouldn't have done that you know and so i'm here to make it right i've i've i've, I've you know, given reparations and done everything that God's law asked me to do, but now I'm here to offer a sacrifice and to make myself right in God's sight. I need his forgiveness. And the priest might be able to say, like, you know, I get that. I'm beset with weakness myself. You did a wayward thing. You did an ignorant thing. But, you know, I, I understand. I'm a human like you. I get that. Now, again, Jesus can't say things exactly in that same way. He can't say, I've done that. You know, I, I've, I've, I've committed those crimes. I've, I've done those sins. So we might be left saying to ourselves, well, so he just doesn't get how hard it is for us to surrender to obey the Lord, to obey God. So the writer gives an illustration, an, an example that leads us to a really big truth about Christ. And the example comes from the Garden of Gethsemane. Do you remember this time in Jesus' life? The night that he was arrested, before he went through six illegal trials, three from the Jews, three from the Gentiles, and then went to the cross in the morning. The night before that, he went to the garden to pray with his disciples. He took Peter, James, and John a little further because he needed their support. And with great agony, it says there in verse 7, with loud cries and tears, Luke's gospel says that he sweat great drops of blood. That means he was so stressed, it seems, that the capillaries began to burst and mixed with the sweat came blood itself. In that stressful moment, Jesus was feeling the gravity of his humanness And saying to his father, if there is any other way, if there's any way that this cup that I'm about to drink, going to that cross, if there's any way that this cup can pass from me, let it be nevertheless not as I will, but as you will. And that's what's meant when it says that he was, because of his reverence, heard by God. His big prayer was not, let me escape. His big prayer was, let me do what you want me to do. That was his big prayer, and that's exactly what he did. He went to the cross, and you remember, God answered his prayer because when he came out of the Garden of Gethsemane, he had a fresh boldness that he hadn't previously had. He'd gone in feeling the weight of that moment. He came out in power. That's why when they came to arrest him in the garden, they, he said, who do you ask for? They said, we're asking for Jesus. He said, I am he. And one of the gospels says that everybody fell down with the power that just kind of came exuded out of him in that moment. They got back up and he says, who is it that you're looking for again? They said, Jesus. He's like, and the second time he said, I am he. He didn't keep knocking them over, over and over again. It was just the first time. There was a power. And what the author helps us understand is that it was in that moment, verse 8, that Jesus learned obedience through what he suffered. He was learning something that as the second person of the triune Godhead, he didn't have to know about until he became one of us. Obedience. You see, he's better than those priests who were wayward themselves in that he actually learned how to obey. And it was very difficult to do so. So when you are feeling like it's hard to walk with God, it's difficult to be obedient to God. There are things that he asks of my life that are so contrary to what my society thinks and the way people live these days, you know, kind of thing. When you're thinking that way, that should not be a thought that causes you to run from the Lord, but a thought that causes you to run to the Lord. In fact, it's kind of like this. He was the only one who was able to successfully obey, and so he's calling to you saying, would you come to me so that I can help you do the very thing that you don't have the power to do by yourself? In other words, when you're feeling that weakness, when you're feeling that shame, when you're feeling that failure, it should be a thing that makes you run to Jesus, not away from Jesus. Like when you're cruising along with your, you know, on the, on, on, in the car and you've got your GPS going, and they're like, you know, in 300 feet, turn right. You know, as you're following the directions, and you're getting ready. Okay, you know, I'm ready. I'm ready to turn right. There should be this thing in the Christian heart and in the Christian mind that says, with 300 failures... I'm turning to Jesus. I'm just going to keep going to Him because He's the only one who could successfully obey. He's unlike any other helper I've ever had who just kind of consoles me in the midst of my failure. He's the one who actually enables me to turn around and to actually obey my God. All the high priests, they kept failing over and over and over again. But Jesus, He succeeded. And so, he's able to sympathize with those weaknesses of ours. He gets it, but he also looks at us and says, you know, I get it, it's hard to have courage, but I want to help you have courage. I get it, it's hard to have faith and to trust your Father in heaven and take steps of faith, but I want to help you to have those steps of faith. I get it, it's hard for you to be open and vulnerable with the people that God has put in your life, but I'm going to help you to be open and vulnerable with the people that God has put in your life. I get it. It's hard, but I want to help you do it. He can sympathize with us. All right, number three, he introduces the best identity, so embrace him. Let's look back in Hebrews again together to see this. Look at verse three with me. He says, because of this, he is obligated to offer sacrifice for his own sins just as he does for those of the people. That's about the priests, right? You know, Jesus didn't have to offer any sacrifices for his sin, but the priests had to offer their own sacrifice. I talked about this last week. Remember, they would go, they'd they'd have to offer a sacrifice for themselves before they could offer one for the nation. Jesus didn't have to do that, though. It says in verse 9, and being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek now let me just say it let me just say it like this think about the identity that the old worship system gave those worshipers you know you you every year day of atonement you have failures sins every day whole nation day of atonement stuff goes on in your life throughout the year you go to the tabernacle, you go to the temple. Here I am, I'm a sinner, I need forgiveness. Here's my sacrifice. I pray that God would receive me. I pray that God would forgive me. The priests were overseeing this whole thing. You know, like everybody that came, You know, there was no hope. Like maybe somebody perfect is coming. No, it was just messed up people over and over again. we sinners, 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 everybody coming in. And then you leave and there may be this feeling of like, okay, cool, like I'm good. And then you go home. You're like, I'm good, I'm straight. I, you go home, commit a sin, and it's like, oh, shoot, i got to go back. <laughs> you know, <laughs> got to keep going back. The whole identity that would get stuck on you after a while is sinner, sinner, sinner. Jesus comes along, and it says in verse 9, he's made perfect doesn't mean that he became morally perfect it means that he became perfect as the founder of our salvation he became the perfect source it says in verse 9 of eternal salvation to those who obey him by faith so jesus comes along he offers a one-time sacrifice and everybody that comes to him they get a new identity sinners come but then they go away and when we sin, it's, still, it's not a sinner, sinner, sinner. It's, I've been made righteous in the sight of God. Listen to this from Romans chapter 5, verse 1 and 2. It says, therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, that's, that's what we are as believers, made right in God's sight, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ our Lord has done for us, because of our faith, Christ has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege where we now stand. This is our standing, undeserved privilege. It's just crushing grace that we do not deserve, and we confidently and joyfully look forward, Paul writes, to sharing God's glory. You see, As believers, we've been given a totally, by by Jesus, we've been given a totally brand new identity in him. I think many of us as Christians need to recall how solid our standing is, if we're covered by the blood of Jesus, how solid our standing is in the sight of God. You all have people in your life that your whole relationship with them is on shaky ground all the time. You, You all have people like that you know, where it's like, did I say the right thing? Did I do the right thing? Did I punch all the right buttons and get the code just right so that they're happy with me? You know, kind of thing. You all, yeah, I'm sure every one of you has people like that. And you feel like you're on shaky ground with someone like that. You know, did, did, I, did I look at them the right way? Did I greet them the right way? They're just kind of sensitive, you know, kind of thing. You all have people like that. But Jesus... You're on solid ground with him if you're covered by his blood. It's just powerful. He's a better friend because he gives that new identity to us. One that's, that says you are perfect in the sight of God. You are saved. You're eternally proved, approved by God because of the blood of Jesus. Alright, let's look at the last thing. Here he has gone on and he's talked all about Jesus. He's our high priest. He's, he's a Better than any friend that could ever exist. He gives you good counsel. He he gives you encouragement and consolation. He teaches you. He corrects you. He parents you. He uh, helps you through sorrows and shame. Like he's available to do all that. He's in heaven right now, and I know that feels far away. But what he's saying is he's active. Today, you have access to go interact with him, to spend time with him, to enjoy him, and to partake of this right now high priestly ministry of Jesus. It's not just like someday I'm going to die and I'll go into his presence and then I'll receive his high priestly ministry. You will then, but what he's saying is you can have this kind of depth of intimate, cool, great, wonderful friendship with Jesus today. All right, so, so he's about this. He's about the current, present-day ministry of Jesus to human beings. But this is what he says. He's got a warning. He says, about this, verse 11, let's read verse 11 to 14 again together. He says, about this we have much to say, and it is hard to explain. And some of us might say, like, yeah, this is, this is hard. Like, Melchizedek and high priests and all this kind of stuff. You might think, like, that's why it's hard to explain. But he says, no, that's not why it's hard to explain. He says, It's hard to explain to his hearers. He says, since you've become dull of hearing. In other words, something about his audience, they'd become dull of hearing. They could not receive this. He wanted to talk about Jesus and what his active, present, current day ministry is towards them, but they couldn't hear it. They were dull of hearing. He says, for though by this time, verse 12, you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food, for everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he's a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil evil here's the thing the last thing i want you to see number four all these great things about jesus as our great high priest as this potential best greatest friend that we've ever experienced but number four dullness of hearing can keep us from enjoying him so we better put that relationship to use dullness of hearing can keep us from enjoying him You see, it's not that the message of Jesus' current right now ministry is actually dull, but it had become dull to those hearers. They had come to a place where His right now ministry toward them was no longer exciting. They had drifted from it. They wanted to offer tangible sacrifices and smell tangible smoke and touch a tangible high priest instead of just praying to the Lord. Instead of opening up their Bibles and reading His Word and hanging out with Him. Instead of going on a walk with Him and talking to Him and pouring out their troubles and cares with Him. Instead of going on adventures with Him and obeying Him and fulfilling the Great Commission with Him. Instead of living an exciting life with Him, they wanted a tangible, physical thing that they could enjoy. Because of that, what Jesus could do had become dull to them. And he tells them, he says, I got to go back to the ABCs for you because you've become like children because Jesus and what he is today has become dull in your sight. You've become, he says, like a child. Now we know how children are, right? Children are great. They're wonderful. And in fact, we are told as Christians that there's a part of what children are that we're to emulate. We're to be childlike in our faith, in our dependency upon the Lord. But the Lord also looks at us and says, I don't want you to be childish. i like for you to be childlike, but I don't want you to be childish. Now, children are unstable people. (laughs) I mean, they cry a lot. They throw fits a lot. They panic a lot. You know, they're unstable. They're upset easily. They're immature in their thinking. If you sat down with a six-year-old and said, Hey, Here's what mommy and daddy make. Here's their annual salary. Here's some crayons. Here's a spreadsheet. Make a family budget. Like, what do you think we should spend all that money on this year? You know, it'd be more candy, more Disneyland, you know, all that stuff. Things like the mortgage. Like, why do we have to buy electricity? It's just rolling. Like, we don't need to do these things. Savings, all of that. The priorities are are off and also odd. That's what childish believers are like. Their whole mentality, the things that they value, the stuff they prioritize, it's off. And the thing that should be celebrated, that I get to have a daily, real experience with Jesus, becomes dull in their hearing. I don't want to know about that. I don't want to think about that. But here's what happens. What should I do with this information? Look at verse 14. He says we should let our powers of discernment be trained by constant practice. What does that mean? I I think in the context, what it means is we have the possibility of going to the throne of grace, like I talked about last week. We have the, the possibility of praying and enjoying the Lord. We have the possibility of experiencing His presence. We have the possibility of starting our days opening up our bibles hearing from him praying to him asking for him in his strength in in a way saying to him god i'm going to get a lot of counsel today from a lot of different people and i know some of it's going to be good but i'm confessing right now today that when i get that good counsel i'm acknowledging that it's actually an answer to the prayer that i've prayed to you for direction i'm getting it all from you lord and when you practice that, in it's a constant practice reality in your life, where days of enjoying the Lord turn into weeks of enjoying the Lord personally, turn into months, turn into years of enjoying the Lord personally, turn into decades. You know what happens to you? It says it in verse 14. Your powers of discernment are trained. That is not how anyone has ever described a child. You know what they got? They their powers of discernment. They're so discerning. You know, like I thought that it would. I thought we should put our pants on right side out and frontwards, but they put their pants on inside out backwards. So smart. No, we look at kids and we say, man, their powers of discernment. They need to be sharpened up. But when you enjoy the Lord day after day, week after week, month after month, and you're experiencing, you're walking with him, praying in his word, serving him, obedient to him, you become a wise person. And your powers of discernment become sharp. So look, here in this passage, we're seeing that Jesus, he's available to us. He's he's there saying, I am your great high priest. I'm available to you. I want to spend time with you. I want to be a friend to you that helps you through everything in your life. But what gets in the way for us so often? I think one thing that gets in the way as I wrap this up is that we choose the wrong friends. Not just people that are close to us that are our classic friends, but the wrong counselors, the wrong financial planners, uh, the wrong therapists, if you will the wrong counselors, the wrong advisors. And so often as we do that, we edge out Jesus, who is available to speak into so many more areas of our lives than we think he wants to speak to us about. And so we must say, Lord, I'm going to push aside some of those voices so that I can have my powers of discernment trained by constant practice of enjoying you. And I'm trusting that as I do, I'm just going to think in a totally different way. And discernment will come rushing in to my mind and heart. So let's pray for that. Let's ask the Lord to do that in our lives. And let's confess to Him if there are some friends that we need to trade out and ask for His help in doing just that. Lord, we come to You today and we want You to be, Lord, all of these things, our friend, our counselor, you know, the one that we turn to for advice and direction. We want you, Lord, to be our pastor. The one who shepherds us and teaches us and leads us. And Lord, we thank you for this radical and direct access that we have to, to you. And Lord, we just celebrate and rejoice in it. If in your heart today, this morning, you're saying to yourself, you know, I got, I've got to... There's a friend... There's a voice that I've listened to that I shouldn't. Just tell the Lord that. Say, Lord, forgive me. Forgive me. Say, Lord Jesus, I know that you want to and are available to be my best friend. And I pray that you'd help me to walk in that experience. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Give us that grace, Lord, we pray. Help us to experience you in this way. And Lord, when we're not, help us and forgive us, Lord, from those times where we blame you for that. You're available to us. You have not drifted. So Lord, we love you. We thank you. We pray that you take us deeper into this connection with you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for listening. If you'd like more teachings and information about Calvary Monterey, please visit calvary.com. You can also find books, teachings through the Bible, and articles from our senior pastor at nateholdridge.com. Thanks again for tuning in. See you next week.